0: back to portfolio rescue. Uh, Duncan it feels like a strange day to talk about the markets with everything going on in Ukraine. We actually had a viewer, one of our podcast listeners emailed us this week and was asking about the markets and some of the stuff we were saying uh, and he said he was from Ukraine and I wrote him back saying, you know thanks for asking about the markets but you know what's going on with the general mood of the people there? I, c- I can't even begin to imagine what it's like there right now. Uh, I guess this is a good reminder to like count yourself lucky if your biggest worry right now is your portfolio. Like, you know, these are, these are temporary problems. Uh, I guess that's also a good reminder that so much of what goes on in the markets and in the economy just is completely outside of your control. So, you know, as an investor, you know, you have no control over geopolitics and the actions of politicians. You have no control over monetary policy or fiscal policy. You have no control over what happens in the economy. You have no control over the level or direction of interest rates, the stock market, inflation, all this stuff. It's all completely out of your control. There's just, just nothing you can do about it. So the only thing that really matters at a time like this is like focusing on what you can control. So you know, if you're thinking about your finances, your savings rate, and your asset allocation, and the fees you pay, and your investment plan, and your long-term goals, and maybe the most important thing right now is how you react to violent moves in the market. Right? It's not necessarily the actions of the markets that matter. It's it's like you know, for your ultimate success or failure as an investor, it's like your reactions, right? How you handle yourselves and markets are moving violently and the world is seemingly going mad. Um, so this is kind of a good time to slow down, not make any rash decisions. It, it's obviously scary and uncertain. People cope in different ways when this stuff happens. You know, there are people who tell you that know exactly what's going to happen next. My default for something like this is just not trying to be a hero. Don't make it worse by trying to make a huge mistake at the wrong time. Um, so we're still going to talk about, finance stuff today, because maybe that's how I personally cope with this stuff. Uh, you know, markets aren't the most important thing right now, but, you know, it doesn't mean we, we, can't, we can't ignore them. So um, I don't know if you stick around to the end of the show. Duncan, we're going to give some stuff away to people, free stuff. What do we got?
1: Yeah, yeah. It's, um, you know, I don't think anyone's feeling as celebratory as we were on like Tuesday for what are your thoughts? But yeah, we still, we said we were going to do a giveaway today. So we're still going to give away a uh, shirt, a uh, coffee mug, and a sticker. Um, so yeah, make sure you hang out till the end, and we're gonna, yeah, uh, we're gonna do the same chat, thing we'll, we did we'll for for what are your thoughts? Where you know we'll use the hashtag one hundred lowercase k, um, hashtag one hundred k, and uh, yeah, we'll do a drawing. So stick around for that. And yeah, I, I think what you just said is great, Ben. But yeah, obviously more important stuff going on. But I think for a lot of people, this kind of thing is is giving a sense of normalcy. Uh, hopefully, you know, a calm voice of, of reason and, and kind of all this craziness. So yeah, that's that's why we're here today. So hopefully everyone gets something out of it. All
0: right, still question.
1: Okay. So question one is the S&P returned 18% in 2020 after a chaotic year. In 2021, volatility came way down and the S&P returned 28%. What psychological effect does this have on investors considering how much has gone on over the past couple of years and the U.S. markets continue to outperform? Has the sell-off been totally valuation-based or do you think there's a behavioral dynamic at play as well?
0: Obviously, there's a million things going on right now. The reason that the market is selling off today, of course, is Russia is going to war with Ukraine. That's an easy one. But the the stock market has been selling off for a number of weeks now. So you have inflation at its all-time high, in the last four decades. The Fed is tightening monetary policy. Growth stocks have been crashing for a while now, for a, a little over a year now. We're, obviously, we're arguably in the craziest housing market we've ever been in. Interest, interest rates are finally starting to rise. We've had all these labor market and supply chain issues. And then we've been in a pandemic for two years. So like the reasons are are obviously noticeable. Um, and like yes, all that stuff matters, but Economic data and geopolitics don't always impact the market like sometimes the market simply ignores this stuff and sometimes it's paying attention So like why is it paying attention more now? The simplest reason is price, right? Because things have gone really well So Duncan put up this first chart here of the returns over the last three years So this is the S&P and the Nasdaq in 2019 2020 and 2021 We had like phenomenal returns, right? The S&P is up hundred percent from 2019 to 2021. The NASDAQ was up 160% in that time, right? So we've had these huge, so zoom out a little bit, it's easy to know why stuff got destroyed. Like Going back even further, the NASDAQ from, I looked at this yesterday, 2009 to 2021, was up 1400% more than that, 23% per year. And it's like, there's no way this stuff can keep growing forever. So like, why are my growth stocks getting crushed? Because growth stocks did so well for so long. And the stock market, why is it falling this year? Probably because it went up so long. Think about like the nineteen eighty seven crash. I, I've read all the books. What what happened and why? Why did we have the worst one day crash in history? Well, portfolio insurance and people were selling, and interest rates were rising. Uh, Duncan, any guesses on like the ten year Treasury yield in nineteen eighty seven crash going into it?
1: I no, absolutely no.
0: It was like it was like almost ten percent. Like rates were rising ten percent. Wow. Put up the chart that shows what happened. I think what a lot of people forget. So this is the 1987. That's unimaginable now. It is right. So, but this is so from nineteen. 19- 82 to 1986, stocks were up like 200, 300%. And then, in the first eight months of the year, the stock market was up 40% in 1987. And then we had the biggest one-day crash in history. And there's all these market dynamic things and structures that went on, but the biggest reason sometimes that stocks go down is because they went up. And it's all psychological. Like if you're thinking about valuations and fundamentals right now, it doesn't matter at all. And it's like, it shows how price changes, like view how people, so in bear markets, people, Prices are falling and people think everything's just gonna get worse and you feel like an idiot, and then things do get a lot worse, but then they get a little less worse than they did before. And things start rising, and then you stocks go up, and then you have a bull market, and then everyone feels like a genius. And then you realize trees don't grow to the sky and things get better, but they get better at a slower rate. And then stocks log in, and then you and prices roll over and you have a correction. And this is kind of the way this works. It's like rinse and repeat. It doesn't like happen all, you know, on a set schedule because you could have said for the last eight years, tech stocks are up too high, they're moving, it doesn't make sense. So you don't know when this is going to end, but that's kind of the way to think about it is that like sometimes when prices are higher, the risks for the lower returns are there because things have been going so well. Now, I don't know when this correction will end, no one really does. The one thing I can say with reasonable certainty is that we're going to see some violent moves in the coming weeks, I would say. So volatility tends to cluster when markets are going down because people panic and also people want to like pretend like they have both hands on the steering wheel and feel like they're doing something. So that's why like the best days in the market actually happened during downturns. So we're going to see some violent rallies in the coming weeks, I think, as this thing, you know, who knows how far it goes. But that, that's the only thing I can say with certainty is that we're going to see some huge moves in both directions coming.
1: Uh, new boil question of the day. Uh, I don't remember, what's, when does something move out of being a correction into something more? What's the, is there like a, a certain threshold?
0: If we're using the, the actual definitions, a correction is down 10%, but less than 20%. And if we look right now, the S&P 500 is in a correction. I just looked before we started, it's down like 13%. The Russell 2000 index of small cap stocks is down 21%. The NASDAQ 100 is down 20%. Those are bear markets. Now it's kind of a, people make these determinations up, but that, that, that's 20% is a bear market, 10% is a correction.
1: Okay, gotcha. And yeah, it brings uh, it, it brings back to memory all those questions we were getting about like triple, you know, levered uh, ETFs a while back. Those things, if if people are really big into those, those are really getting hit.
0: Yeah, it's, it's, and sometimes it doesn't even matter the reason, right? People focus on the reason at the time because it helps them think that they can guess what's going to happen next. But sometimes the reason doesn't doesn't matter, and this just happens. Unfortunately, this is this is part and parcel with risk assets. Right. Let's do another one.
1: Okay. So up next, we have, uh, do y'all, this is a question from North Carolina. I believe Jacob, let me double check that. Uh, Yeah, this is a question from Jacob in North Carolina. Do y'all have any advice or recommendations for how to handle taxes on crypto as tax season approaches? I had my first foray into DeFi last year and have quickly realized that the large number of transactions makes calculating my realized gains completely untenable without some sort of software automating it. This is a good one.
0: So we get emails on a wide range of topics, markets and the economy and personal finance and retirement accounts and all this stuff and different types of investments. By far the biggest, and we just had someone go through our inbox and totally clean it out uh, and put these different questions into different categories. And by far the biggest category is taxes. Uh, this is why we have our man Bill on all the time. So let's bring Bill on.
2: He's our tax expert. Hey, Bill. Yeah, hey. good to be back with you again. Who would know? Tax questions really popular in late February. <laughs> Yes, it, it, I think it's a lot of that because we're getting <laughs> closer
0: to that, but yeah. I, I mean, I guess people just hate paying taxes almost more than they enjoy making money. So that's why people, it's such at the forefront of people. People just hate paying taxes, and you know this. How dare you steal my take? How dare you? <laughs> but like what, the only thing I really know about taxes and crypto is there's no wash sale rule. So if you wanted to sell now that, that crypto is lower, you could you could sell your Bitcoin or Ethereum or whatever, and buy it back immediately yep. and just lock that gain in for tax purposes, right? That's the extent of my knowledge for taxes for crypto. What else is there to know?
2: Correct. Yeah. Fails the Howley test. It's not a security. Uh, so let's talk basics, though, Ben, because th- this is a great question. And crypto is a really volatile, really wild asset class. Really a lot of fun in the Wild Wild West there right now. Basics. What did you pay for the token when you bought it? What's your cost basis? When did you sell it? What's the exit on sale? And that gets complicated. I'm going to talk about that in a second. And then the dates on when the Purchase happened and the sale happens, that's very important because that determines short-term or long-term capital gains. So pretty simple and a real easy example. I buy Bitcoin for $6,000, one Bitcoin in February of 2020. I sell it this morning uh, in February 2022 for $36,000. I got a $30,000 gain. Congrats, right? Guess what? You owe 15% long-term capital gains tax on that asset. So you need to cough up about $4,500 of federal tax. But what makes this really complex is when have you actually sold the token? And this is what a lot of folks that are kind of noobs in crypto land don't get. If you sell it for cash, that's the obvious example. What happens if you trade one currency for another? You flip your Bitcoin for Ethereum. Guess what? (laughs) That's a taxable transaction. Let's say you use your Ethereum to buy something. Let's say it's some some asset pizza. It's a classic example from back in the day. That's a taxable event. If you get airdrop tokens from a hard fork, if you do any staking or mining, that's taxable income. Or if you get paid in cryptocurrency to do a job, to do a gig, that is taxable income. So all this stuff matters. Let me cut to the chase. There's a really great platform that I use called TaxBit. This is not an endorsement, but I am familiar with the platform. And and it's great because if you're able to link all of your custodians' wallets in one place, it'll give you some really awesome tax reports, including Form 8949, which you're going to need for your 2021 income tax return.
0: What if you are taking your Ethereum and buying NFTs? Yeah, that's it. So again, is, you're flipping
2: one token for another. Tax is for the
0: rent. IRS really on top of this though? Like do they know what's <laughs> going on? Like if if you're in there flipping, if you're staking in DeFi land and you're using your ether to buy NFTs, do they do they have any idea what that is? Or can like are people skirting tax laws at this point in
2: there? Are people skirting tax laws? Like if <laughs> I pay my contractor in cash, he's reporting that all the time as income, right? Um, that what makes cryptocurrency really interesting, Ben, is that it's it's there on a chain, right? And so this is this is public to the extent that you can re- re- look at an address and you can see a transaction, right? So it is the IRS, are there agents in the IRS that have time to to take a look at your 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 Coinbase wallet and determine that you made a, a taxable transaction? I mean, God's honest truth truth is probably not. They're still processing somewhere in the neighborhood of eight or 10 million tax returns from 2020. If you send them an 83B election or a form, I I get those back about seven months later. So that gives you an indication of how far behind the IRS is, but they're catching up and they're catching up every day. And we're going to talk about this a little bit later, but there's a pretty big bomb coming uh, January 1st, 2023, when all this stuff is going to start getting reported to the IRS and you can run, but you can't hide.
1: What, uh, what level do you think Coinbase would need to get to stock market-wise um, before all of their best talent jump ship to the IRS? To <laughs>
2: Yeah, unfortunately, not, the pay, pay scale is a little different there. They, they, don't, they don't tend to compensate you. I don't think you know, the IRS is going to be paying anyone in Bitcoin either. No, it's government service too. But yeah, and again, we should, we should charge them for this spot. But check out taxbit.com. That, that's, the best, that's the best platform that I've found for my personal use. It's not an endorsement. So uh, right. do, your, do your due diligence on that. Let's do the next one, Duncan.
1: Cool. Okay. So up next, we have a question from Bill. Um, Not this bill. Uh, What is a good tax efficient strategy for withdrawing from a 401k, Roth IRA, and traditional IRA while receiving a pension until eligible for full social security benefits at 67? Not expecting to need large withdrawals to live on.
0: This is another topic that's come up quite a bit is taking the assets down. Blair and I talked about this on last week's show a little bit. And so people trying to figure out like, yes, I've accumulated all these assets, but now what? How do I take them out? Like, is there, are there a good rule of thumb for this kind of thing? Like,
2: different counts you want to take out earlier, later, spread them out a little bit, a little each? What do you think? Yeah, we covered this about three weeks ago. It's a similar question. Let me just start quickly, though. Let me push back on the premise. Each year that you defer on your Social Security benefit from age 62 all the way out to age 70, you get an extra 8% a year. There is nothing magical about full retirement age outside of some other filing requirements. If you file at 68, you get an 8% lifetime boost for your income. So you kind of need do need to judge that though on life expectancy, right? But if you, if you expect to live till 83, or longer, and if you, you look at family history, it probably makes sense to wait till 70, right? But that said, um, it, it, I think it's important to think about how does this taxation work? And if you're able to sort of live on a low, let's say lower pension, that means your taxable income is probably low. Duncan, John, can you pull up my chart? JG, let's, let's do this thing. Like, tax brackets matter. And we talked about this the the last time that we had this call. There's a really big tax jump that happens around the 22% tax bracket. This is a married filing joint couple. The pointed arrow is pointing to where you go from 12% to 22%. That, to me, is a really magical place to think about in the tax code, assuming that your pension is below that amount. Because you can take assets in a traditional IRA, that you have to start taking distributions from an age 72 and front load those into present. And so if your income falls below a certain threshold, I would always look at that. The very first portfolio rescue episode I was on, Ben, do you remember what the tattoo in my back reads? <laughs> Uh, Roth IRA, right? Roth IRA conversion. You're damn right. And so that's the thing to think about once you convert that asset to Roth You no longer have to pay tax on it again And so if you expect your taxes to be your income to be higher in the future after you file for Social Security benefits It makes sense to front load some distributions or contributions in the present But unfortunately like everything in tax it all depends Right. Okay. Let's do one more Duncan.
1: Okay. So uh, up next, question four we have is from James, who writes, this is a fun one. Uh, I hold season tickets for an NBA team. They don't tell us which one, but I usually sell a portion of the tickets to recoup some of the costs. I don't make a profit for the season as a whole, but for individual games, I will sometimes turn a profit. Starting this year, Ticketmaster, where I'm forced to resell, has informed me that they are filing a 1099K for anyone who receives over $600 in a calendar year, which will include me. Well, I need to add ticket income to my tax filing, and if so, can I deduct the cost of season tickets against this new income?
2: This is a
0: strange one. Uh, yeah. I was th- Michael has season tickets to the Knicks. I was wondering, shouldn't you get a write-off if your team doesn't make the playoffs or they finish <laughs> under 500? Like if you buy season tickets to the Detroit Lions, like the government should be paying you like Ooh. as a citizen for should helping it, the economy. Shouldn't
1: you make the owner pay you? Something like that.
0: Yeah. So b- before we get into this specific one, Bill, I asked you yesterday like what are some of the strangest things you've seen? on a tax fine, because this one would I think this one would 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 uh, count, right? Of NBA tickets. What, what what have you seen?
2: Yeah, twice. And I talked about this with Bill Art. Shout out to Bill A, uh, our CPA in Philly. I talked about it with him. The the funniest thing I've ever seen twice was uh was mascot expenses. And so when you're filing somebody's tax return, you kind of need to ask some questions when you see something funky like that come across. So one answer was uh it's our it's our company mascot. And I said, can you elaborate on what the mascot is? They were like, well, it's a it's a it's a doodle, and uh, she cheers everybody up. And so I was like, is that the dog that lives in your house? And are, are these actually dog grooming expenses? He was like, yeah, you got me. Those, <laughs> those not deductible. That's a personal expense. Sorry. The more interesting one happened, client, uh, home office actually, but had a lobby, right? And so clients would come in, I think it was a hairdresser or something like that. People would come in, they'd sit in a lobby and they'd wait. And the mascot expense was for a fish tank. And the idea was, well, people sitting in there waiting for somebody to see—it's something nice to look at. I actually allowed that expense. I thought that was reasonable, ordinary, necessary. I would say mascot expenses. The other really funky one that I've come across, though, is anything involving plastic surgery or other, like teeth whitening, other personal expenses. And those typically are a no-no. But those are the two weird categories. That so what if what if this YouTube channel sticks around for like another 30 years, and I get a facelift at age 60? <laughs>
0: Does that count as a write-off? Uh, I if have I a face pretty.
2: I have a face for radio, so you're definitely speaking my language. But unfortunately, no. The IRS is going to uh, determine that to be a personal expense. It's a personal appearance. Same thing for clothing. That's basically anything. that's not a costume. If you can adapt it for civilian use, if I can wear this shirt to the club and I, and I do every Friday night, that's not deductible to me, unfortunately. I got, so
0: I got to imagine this person, even though they're making income, they cannot deduct the cost of those tickets. I have to imagine that's a
2: pretty simple one. even Yeah, it depends. So that's, again, this, the, the freaking tax thing that sucks. So just wait till this happens in crypto land, by the way. That's what I was getting at before. January 1, 2023, brace yourselves because 1099s are coming uh, from Coinbase. But leaving that aside, the the quick and dirty answer is yes, you can deduct the cost of tickets and you should deduct that against your cost of sales. However, the way the taxpayer framed this question, this smells a lot like a hobby to me. This is not a bona fide business in the eyes Ah, of the Internal Revenue Code. And what that means is you can and should deduct the cost of your tickets, but only to the extent of your income. If you go beyond that, you might be able to get away with it for a year or two but in order for a business to be bona fide in order for you to be able to deduct uh, expenses beyond your income you need to be able to prove that you're you're in it for a profit so to turn it to a
0: business he has got to be one of those guys that stands outside the stadium
2: going tickets Bingo! Tickets. Yeah, and I've never bought a ticket from one of those dudes of you because no I way, just, I yeah, would not that. Kind of scares me. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah. Uh, but regardless, th- I mean, if you're just sort of recouping tickets to cover your cost, that's probably a really bad business in the eyes of the IRS. Uh, so the natural question again is this: a, is this going to be a hobby? Are you actually trying to generate a profit? I would probably Boy Scout honor. Like, if you want to play this straight, report it as a se- Schedule C entity on your tax return. Report the total income on 1099 K. Match that with an expense. It has no impact on your tax return. Move on down the road. Um, and you should also always dro- drive below the speed limit. Cook your burgers to 500 degrees Fahrenheit and drink 40 gallons of water a day. But this kind of thing, we'll see. I don't know how serious the IRS is going to take it. So I think it's taxpayers. We got to play by the rules, guys. Come on.
0: My season tickets are buying a nice big TV that looks good in HD. Yeah, and, and not recently, an HD with that's with parking. That's,
1: that's you a have a better view in most cases. Yeah. 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 All
0: right, Bill. You served your country. You've been involved in military conflict before. I'm just curious, like, what are your thoughts and feelings on a day like today?
2: Yeah, not to be a downer, but I'm, I'm horrified. We, we have not seen large-scale war of this magnitude since 1945 in Europe. I have a very good friend he was the best man at my wedding who is deploying to Eastern Europe today. So I would just say everybody out there, it sounds so, 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 you know trite but this is a this is a moment that should connect humanity and ultimately i pray i pray for the free people of ukraine and i hope this all ends very quickly and satisfactory because this is very serious business uh so thank you please please pray for my friend his name is todd right well said all right thanks everyone for watching duncan are we going to do the uh the giveaway now
1: yeah, yeah. So, uh, so like I said, if you've been putting um, hashtag one hundred K, lowercase K, into the chat, um, we're gonna pull from that here in a second with this cool uh, little feature that uh, that Streamyard has. Wow, look at the odds here. The odds only forty <laughs> people entered today. Wow, we have like <laughs> three hundred yeah, and some three hundred and some the other day. So yeah, that's a pretty good, pretty good odds. Roll uh, those dice. So yeah, let's let's uh, let's go for it. Let's uh, hit it now.
2: Did you rig this, Duncan?
1: No, I wish I was good enough coding <laughs> to be able to read
2: this. The question is: Is this taxable income to bits, bits of interest? interest?
1: Okay, uh, long time, long time viewer. I, I definitely <laughs> recognize uh, their profile pic from the your ten ninety nine k is in congrats. the Congrats! So uh, yeah, so send us yeah, this is a taxable event. Obviously, no, I'm just kidding. But uh, but so send us an email at askthecompoundshow at gmail.com uh, with your you know address and your uh, shirt size, and we'll get the uh, the shirt sticker and. Um, Mug Ben doesn't drink coffee mug uh, in the mail to you. So yeah, congratulations This is something I think we'll do we'll do more, you know moving into the future But today was to celebrate the fact that we're almost at 100k and hopefully by the end of the week We'll be at at 100k because that's what I said on what are your thoughts? All right.
0: uh, Yeah, we're getting there All right, if you have a question for us, especially corruption related. I'm sure a lot of people have a lot of questions right now. with The market's falling. We're in a crisis Send us a question ask the compound show at gmail.com Thanks again to Bill for always being our tax man Uh, thanks to Duncan and we'll see you next week.
1: See everyone.
2: This podcast is for informational purposes only and is brought to you by Ritholtz Wealth Management. Clients of Ritholtz Wealth Management may maintain positions in the securities mentioned on this podcast. If you're new to investing, check out liftoffinvest.com to get started with us today.